0: Good morning to everyone. It's uh, great to see you here. Um, we're going to talk a little bit more this morning about sex, and we're going to talk about breaking up, and we're going to talk about ending well, and we're going to talk about divorce. There are lo- there's loads of Christian teaching and loads of teaching on staying together, building a great relationship, being married well, being married happily, but very little is said about the terrible impact on uh, relationships that break down. So that's what we're going to talk about uh, this morning. Whilst I just... Ah, yeah, no, it's, it's all set up. So I was going to say, turn to one another and say something whilst I get all this set up. But it's all set up. So that's um, pretty good. So, divorce, ending well, and uh, remarriage. That's what we're going to talk about. What I would like you to talk, uh, turn to each other and talk about is these Four statements. Beam me up, Scotty. Elementary, my dear Watson. You dirty rat. Perhaps a little bit harder. What God has joined together, no man can separate. Turn to uh, a little group around you. Who said those great, well-known statements? Okay. Uh, let's do it then. Let's, uh, who said? Beam me up, Scotty. Captain Kirk. Captain James T. Kirk. Who said elementary, my dear Watson? Sherlock Holmes, anybody? Different view? Benedict Cumberbatch. Cumberbatch. (laughs) The hard one, perhaps harder. Who said, you dirty rat? Humphrey Bogart. James Cagney, yes. And who said what God has joined together, no man can separate? Jesus. Well, he, you know, we just had the reading where he said that. So, uh, so it wasn't particularly difficult, that one. There it is, the results. You would be surprised to know, but you can check this out, that none of those people ever said the things that are written there. There is no, uh, there is no uh, Star Trek episode or film in which Captain Kirk ever said, beam me up, Scotty. It's just become one of those things that we say. Trust me, Google it, but not now. <laughs> Find out. Sherlock Holmes has never, ever said, elementary, my dear Watson. It's just one of those things that's got caught up into jokes. It's a soundbite that that uh, Sherlock never, ever said. James Cagney did not say, you dirty rat. Watch the film. He doesn't say it. Jesus never said, what God has joined together, no man can separate. He never said it. The whole church believes he said it, not just our church. We just had the reading with something like it in. And we all read what Jesus said as that, but he did not say it. The misguided thought that Jesus did say this has steered the church over hundreds of years to place people in poor, dying, abusive, neglectful relationships, danger. Jesus never said this. It's a myth. So we're going to take a look at what Jesus did say, rather than what he didn't say. And we're going to look at what it really means. There are some sermons, I guess, some little talks that are quite light. Um, This isn't particularly light, this sermon this talk, but it's essential, because we are Christians. And when we believe the wrong stuff and pass on the wrong stuff, we screw other people's lives up. When we believe soundbites, half-learned truths that approximate to something though we're not quite sure, we really do a lot of damage in people's lives. There are two popular views amongst Christians. They are these, that you can only divorce... In the case of adultery, nothing else counts. And that you can't divorce for anything because what God has joined together, no man can separate. Neither of these views actually represent what the Bible says or teaches. Either the Old or the New Testament. Neither Jesus nor Paul. In the New Testament, it's Jesus and Paul that talk about marriage and divorce. We're going to look at what Jesus said. We could look at what Paul said. Most of Paul's teaching about marriage and divorce is in 1 Corinthians, the letter to the church in Corinth, and it's mostly in chapter 7. We could look at it, but trust me, you wouldn't want to stay that long. The interesting thing, however, is Jesus and Paul on surface level superficial reading disagree with one another. Because if the New Testament does allow divorce at all, Jesus said it was it for the case of adultery. Where Paul never says that. He says it's in the case of desertion. When someone abandons you, you can get divorced. So if we go for the superficial, literal reading of the text out of context, we've already put Jesus and Paul on different sides of the fence and against one another. Check it out by reading 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you like. But neither of them were actually saying what we imagine they were saying. Now, why is it, therefore, that the whole church has taught these things for so long and I'm just about to say something different? It's simply this. I'm saying nothing different. But over the last 50 years, we have advanced our scholarship hugely in terms of biblical knowledge. Over the last 50 years, we've come to grips with the Dead Sea Scrolls, which don't appear in our Bible, but were written by this group called the Essenes, just outside Jerusalem, a monastic movement within Judaism. And slowly, as we've understood and translated and grappled with, and people have written PhDs around various sections of the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls, They've shed light on the culture and context and morality of the Judaism into which Jesus operated, where he lived, and where he taught. So we've finally got the context. And there have been many other finds as well. Uh, again, you can check all this out. Uh, just um, some years ago, in an old Jewish synagogue in Cairo, down in the basement, They discovered hundreds and hundreds of birth certificates and death certificates and marriage certificates and divorce certificates of Jews, sacredly kept. As those have been analyzed, we discovered a lot more. So we now understand the words that are in the New Testament. Little phrases that are used, and we'll look at some of the little phrases that are used, that to the untrained eye meant nothing. Technical language that's built into Corinthians and built into Matthew that no one would actually pick up on unless one understood the context. But without the context, how can you understand uh, these these things? So, Let's look at what Jesus did say. So this is exactly what Jill read to us. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. That's Jesus. And they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, um, haven't you read he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be united to his wife and the two shall become one flesh.'" So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Jesus said, what God has joined together, let no one separate. He didn't say, what God has joined together, no man can separate. Now, you might think I'm being pedantic, but I'm not being pedantic at all. When you say what God has joined together, no man can separate, you're really saying it's impossible. Once married, always married. If you've said those vows, they count for the rest of your life till death do us parts. It's impossible to not be married when you are married, even if you separate, even if your partner leaves you, even if they abandon you. You are somehow united to them. The two have become one flesh and there's no way out of this. They may have wandered off from you, forgotten you. They may have treated you badly. They they may have even committed adultery. In the case of those who believe the Bible says no one uh, can ever be divorced. They could have treated you in any way, but somehow you are still one with them because you stood in a church building and you made those holy vows. What Jesus said is, therefore what has joined together, let no one separate. In context, what Jesus is saying is this, don't do it. I know it's possible. I know you can separate people. I know through your actions and other actions, marriages can break down. I know it happens. We discover how Jesus knew it happened. I know that when one person mistreats another, a marriage can break down. I know when a family doesn't accept the incoming daughter-in-law or son-in-law. I know that can have a detrimental effect. I know that, but don't do it. And all he's doing is he's calling on Malachi. Chapter 2. Jesus knew the Old Testament inside out, upside down, word by word. And more importantly than that, he knew the spirit of it. God, the man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel. Violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. Jesus isn't saying it can't happen, it's impossible. He's saying, please, Don't let it happen for your own sake, for the sake of children, for the sake of your community, for the sake of the whole of society. Don't go down this road. So now let's highlight um, some other words. Some Pharisees came to him to test him and they asked Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, In the beginning, at that end the beginning the Creator made the male and female and said to them, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate. The Pharisees come to Jesus. I said the other week, if you were here, there were two leading groups of Pharisees. One more left-wing, one more right-wing. It tends to turn out that way in life, doesn't it? You can call it the Labour Party and the Conservatives. You can call it the Democrats and the Republicans. These were two different types of Pharisees. And, uh, and they had different views about what a particular passage meant in Deuteronomy chapter 24. We talked about it the other week, but I'll talk about it again. What Jesus is addressing here isn't his whole view on all marriage. What he's addressing is a particular um, issue that had become a hot potato in Israel at the time. How do we know that? Because we got countless other documents from outside of the New Testament, including the Dead Sea Scrolls, that tell us was the big burning issue. There was a clash between the right-wingers and the left-wingers. It was the talk of the day. It was like, should we stay in Europe or should we get out of Europe? It was that. You know, it divided everyone. And the big division was around what this phrase meant. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? What's really, really unhelpful is that in some translations, though not the one that we use in the NIV, in some translations of the Bible, that gets read as, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? Here it says, for any and every reason. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? Any cause? And Jesus says, haven't you read in the beginning, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his uh, father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become flesh. Then, what God's joined together, let no one try to separate. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? For any cause? Is there any reason why you can get divorced? And Jesus says, no. The problem is that we don't understand The context. The context is this. Deuteronomy chapter 24. This was the big hot potato. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, Moses had said, uh, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and, and Sends uh, her from his house, and if after she leaves his house she becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce and gives it to her and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again. That's what Deuteronomy said. And actually, what the Pharisees, and actually all the scholars, not just the Pharisees, Uh, said that meant was this, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent in her, a cause of sexual immorality or adultery, the term indecent replies to something sexual. And so two groups of Pharisees had grown up and one group of Pharisees said the only reason you can divorce your wife is for her committing adultery. And the other group of Pharisees, who were called the Hillelites, uh, the, uh, they said, uh, uh, that, was, that was the group, uh, it, it, it was the followers of Hillel who said it was just in the case of adultery. And the other group of Pharisees said, no, it, do you know, if a husband finds something indecent in his wife that leads him towards adultery, anything indecent, any cause, any reason that leads him to pursue an adulterous relationship, then actually that's what it's about. And that's how you get to uh, this verse here. So some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him and they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? It was a technical bait, debate. It was, Jesus, are you with those who claim you can get divorced for any cause, any reason, any indecency? Or are you with those who claim that it's only about adultery? And what they meant by any cause was, literally, if she, if my wife burns the dinner, if when I get home she doesn't look as sexy as she once did, if I her attitude to me inappropriate or offensive or non-respectful, if she doesn't do the housework whilst I'm out farming in the fields, if she, for any reason, I find this woman just ugh, slightly irritating, well, that leads me to perhaps thinking about adultery. So the indecency in her that leads me thinking uh, towards adultery means that I can divorce her and get a new wife. That was the debate that was going on. And into that, Jesus, when asked the question about Deuteronomy 24. So this isn't Jesus teaching on marriage. It's not his whole teaching on marriage. It's his teaching about a specific debate. And they say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Any What was called an any clause divorce? And he says, no. Haven't you heard that in the beginning, the Creator made the male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man should leave his uh, father and mother and the, be united with his wife, and the two shall become flesh. Now, it's worth pausing there to say something else. Something big. So I hope you're listening. Just as this verse has been generalized and lifted out of context... To mean, well, you can't divorce your wife, or you can't get divorced, or you can't divorce your husband. There's no divorce for any reason. Except perhaps adultery. Which is illogical, by the way. we come to that in a minute. If Jesus did believe that, it was potty. So... This verse has been generalized in other ways. People have not understood that this was a specific debate about Deuteronomy chapter 24. Trust me, it was. All the scholars agree upon it. I'm not trying to peddle to you some Steve Chalk theory. In fact, let me recommend this book right now. Divorce and remarriage in the Bible, the social and literary context, David Inston Brewer. David is a scholar at Oxford. It's a fantastic book. It's a long read. There are lots of words on every page. It's tiny writing. It's endless, endless footnotes, uh, you know, from the Mishnah, from the Talmud, from uh, Philo. Uh, I don't know if you know who Philo was, but as we seek to understand the text of the New Testament, Philo the Mishnah and the Talmud, amongst others, become pretty important. The problem is that we don't do the work, but we all want to pass comment on what the Bible says, and normally to beat someone else with it. I recommend that book to you. If you can't deal with that, there's the pocket version, also by David. It's called Divorce and Remarriage in the church. And uh, he um, he's a great scholar. And uh, he asked me to do a little word for him on the popular one, because he knows I'm just kind of like, you know, not very like that. I'm a bit more like this. <laughs> so this one's got a quote from me. It was published a few years ago, but this one's the one to read, if you can. Um, so, wh- um, so what am I, uh, I saying? Is it So where's the other way in which we generalise this verse and through generalising it have missed the whole point? The other way we've done it is this. You'll hear people say, oh, this is just Jesus teaching about divorce and remarriage, so it's all summed up in this. No, it's not. It's about Deuteronomy chapter 24. The other way is they say, well, you can't have um, same-sex marriage because Jesus said, Haven't you read? He replied, that in the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become flesh. There it is, out of the mouth of Jesus. Marriage is only ever between a man and woman. Nah, nah, read the stuff, do the theology. Do the hard yards. Put the work in. This is about a specific instance. He's being questioned by a bunch of Pharisees that are against one another about a particular issue about men and women, about Deuteronomy chapter 24. And he gives uh, this answer. Well, we are Here, Exodus chapter 2. We looked at this before again. But do you know, it's worth looking at these things more than once so they really begin to sink in. This is Exodus 2. And uh, this is Moses again. And Moses says, "If if, if a man marries another woman, he's already married, now he's going to marry another woman. Bit of polygamy going on there. He must not deprive the first one of her food clothing, and marital rights, sex. If he does not provide her with these three things, she is free to go without any payment of money. Now, again, we don't understand that some of the, lo- the, the legal system in the Bible is case law. If you're not a lawyer, talk to someone about what case law is. And this is case law. And what case law sets is precedent. And so the Jewish rabbis throughout history, they lifted this, the principles contained, and they applied to all marriages. So Jesus is fully aware that there are a whole number of reasons why people can get divorced. There's adultery, but withholding food, clothing, marital rights, sex, all of these... Give a woman the right to walk away from a man. Now, in the context of Exodus, this is absolutely groundbreaking. Because in this world, it was all about men, 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 and their rights. They could do anything they wanted, but a woman was just a thing. And I'm not pretending to you for one instant that the ethical code of the Old Testament is one that we'd all want to sign up to right now nor indeed the ethical code of some of the teaching of the New Testament when Paul sends a slave back to Philemon. Onesimus writes Philemon a nice letter but sends the slave back. None of us would endorse that now. But the Bible is a library of books and a sto- slow, steady walk out of ideas that were very misshapen towards a God of love. And here in the Old Testament, in Exodus, appear these ideas. When women are just things to be owned, yet this is revolutionary because it says that if a man does not give to a woman food, clothing, respect, belonging, marital rights, if he doesn't provide her with these things, she is free to go. She can take the initiative and she's free to go without any payment of money. So back to what Jill read. Why then, they asked, that's the Pharisees, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Here's an interesting thing. There was divorce in the Old Testament. We just looked at two examples, one from Exodus and here in Matthew, in the conversation. Why then, if, if, you, you, you Jesus are saying you can't just divorce your wife for any and every reason you feel like. Why then did Moses, give, command, uh, Moses command a man to give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus knew divorce existed. Everyone knew for all these reasons. Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. What Jesus is still referring back to is the debate in, in Deuteronomy chapter 24. He says, it's not for any and every reason. Hey, You know, and you've taken this divorce certificate thing that Moses allowed and you've used it in the wrong way. You've liberalized in the wrong way. Now I'm telling you, I'm telling you what what Deuteronomy chapter 24 is referring to is divorce in the case of adultery. Jesus is also aware that Exodus chapter 2 is there and allows divorce for other reasons but he's only talking about Deuteronomy 24. If Jesus is giving a universal view of marriage, he's actually junking one of the most liberating parts of what Exodus is about. And so it turns out that, it turns out that just from an Old Testament understanding, adultery, neglect, physical, emotional or sexual, and abandonment, are all reasons for divorce. If we've gone too fast, forgive me. I hope that makes sense. That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul talks about abandonment as a reason for divorce. Because he's having another discussion about a completely different thing. I don't know if you know this, but Corinthians was written into uh, a church in a big, big cosmopolitan Roman city that was under Roman law in the middle of a giant famine. People were starving to death. 1 Corinthians, the whole book, is about how to survive in a famine and how to be Christ-centered in a famine. That's why Paul says, hey, if I were you, I'd stay single, don't get married. He's not saying, getting married's a bit not right okay, if you must, you must. He's saying, it's a famine. Like, if you get married, no contraception, remember? If you get married, you'll have children. If you have children, that's more mouths to feed. It doesn't make sense in this present uncertainty. He calls it these present troubles. In the middle of a famine where we're starving, you're starving. Look, I'd I'd abstain from all of that if I were you. Get through these present difficulties. It's written into that context. Rip out that context. Forget that it was written to a a, a city in the grip of famine. And you can come up with all sorts of nonsense about what it might mean, as the church jolly well has done. Like I said, we're going to stick to uh, Jesus rather than Paul, but let that be a comment on that. In both both cultures, Jewish and Greek culture, Roman culture, marriage was compulsory. I don't know if you know that. Everyone had to get married. For the Jews, they had to get married because God said, be fruitful and multiply. And it it was every man and woman's job to join in with what God had told them to do. You had to get married. It was compulsory. In Roman culture, it was also compulsory or it had been since 18 years before Jesus was born. Um, BC 18 when uh, uh, Augustus Caesar that you know was on the throne of Rome when Jesus was born Caesar Augustus he made marriage compulsory in fact it wasn't just it was compulsory for a different reason he wanted to populate the Roman Empire you know when you're kind of expanding this empire you need citizens to fill it so every man and every woman had to get married and they had to have children in order to populate the empire Here's another piece of Roman law. Even if if your if your husband or wife died, or if your husband or wife deserted you and divorced you, in the case of divorce, you had to remarry within 18 months. But in the case of the death of your partner, you could have another six months before you got round to it. You could take the full two years to get over it. But then I said Augustus, time to get back to work. Produce those children. And you could even be prosecuted if you did not get married. If you read wrote, uh, one Corinthians chapter seven, I've given you a little bit of background. There's more that you need to understand it. But you'll go, ah. So when, aha, when Paul's saying, "Don't get married," we're in a famine. Don't produce extra children. He was saying something directly contrary to the law of the Old Testament. And to the law of Caesar, it was countercultural. it was like, "Hey, do the wise thing right now. So if these are the reasons for getting uh, divorced that arise through the Bible, and Jesus well understood, it makes sense of these words. I last heard these words said yesterday, I went to a, a wedding. I call upon these persons here present to witness that I to take you to be my lawful wedded husband or wife to have and to hold from this day forward for better for worse for richer or poorer in sickness and in health to love and to cherish till we are parted by death and to this end I give you my word can you see how those words they're not actually Christian words they're Jewish words can you see how they're built and based around uh, they're built and based around the, those texts that text in Exodus to cherish to cherish to thrive, to have sustenance, to be cared for, to be protected, to be nourished instead of abandoned and neglected. This is what marriage is about. And like Jesus said, this is the way that God plans it until death parts you. He knows it goes wrong. He knows it breaks down. And Jewish law, as I hope I've illustrated because I've got to stop, had lots to say about when it did break down. Here's the last thing then. Divorce happened. What about remarriage? Some people say, "Well, oh, you can be divorced, but you can't be remarried. I was just reading a story the other day, um, uh, um, it, oh, a true story in America. Um, a man and wife in a church. He was a, he was a psychopath. Nobody knew that because he'd turn up at the prayer meeting he'd pray all the right stuff. But he tortured his wife constantly. And um, one day this all came to a head when someone was visiting. And this man, this probably can only happen in America, uh, can't it? He grabbed a gun and he held it to his wife's head. Psychopaths are totally self-centered, you know. They're nice to everyone, but they're really driven only by one person. It's them. Everybody else is a bit player, you know. And he held it to his wife's head and he pressed the trigger and the gun stalled. It blocked, it didn't fire. And he ran out the house when the gun didn't go off and didn't blow her brains out. And he was arrested. And he was put in, uh, he, he was imprisoned. But the church believed that he'd not committed adultery. And that because he'd not committed adultery... This woman had to stay married to him and accept him back when he came out of prison. As the day arrived for his prison sentence to end, she committed suicide. Good evangelical church. Good Bible teaching. I put it to you. Look at the cross. What's the cross about? What's this cross about? It's about forgiveness. It's about hope. It's about peace. Is it not? It's the symbol that's the centre of all of our faith. Is that story about hope that I've just told you? Or about peace? No, it's not. Judge everything through the prism of the cross of God's love for us. And think about Jesus and Paul. Paul says you can get divorced in the case of abandonment. And Jesus says you can get divorced in that passage in in Matthew in the case of adultery. But what about sexual abuse? What about physical abuse? What about mental and emotional abuse? What about neglect? What about betrayal? What about absenteeism? What about all those things? We go, oh yeah, well that wasn't divorce. That wasn't adultery and it wasn't abandonment. So you'd stuck with it. Is that the spirit of Christ? Is it the spirit of Exodus? Of course it's not. We must use our common sense. If our common sense is focused on who Jesus is. So if all this is true, one last thing. But I've got to flick back through these slides. Look at this, Deuteronomy. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him and he finds something indecent about her, etc., etc., and if she leaves his house and she becomes the wife of another man and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, divorce and gives it to her and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again. What's, what's that telling you? She can get married, but not to the first guy who's already dumped her and abused her. This isn't, you can't get remarried. Of course you can get remarried. In fact, in Jewish and in Roman law, not only were people allowed to get married, as I think I've explained, they should get remarried. There was, there was an imperative To get remarried, and if I flick right on to the end, a few years ago, in a place called Masada, we dug up, I wasn't personally involved, (laughs) we dug up some divorce certificates. And there's one fantastic divorce certificate. You you can see it. I think it might be in the British Museum, but don't take my word for that. But you can Google all this stuff and find out where it is. It's of a couple called Mary and Joseph from AD 72. So it isn't Mary and Joseph, Jesus' mum and dad. Did you know that Mary was the most popular... Um, female name and Joseph was the second most popular male name you know everyone was calling oh let's have a baby let's call him Joseph that would be original but you know that's kind of they were all called Mary and Joseph you know it was very common and there's a divorce certificate of a couple called Mary and Joseph that dates back to AD 72 why is that important because Jerusalem fell in AD 70. You know, the Romans overwhelmed Israel. But at a place called Masada, they held out because Herod had built a fortress there. And it had very high walls and it was in the cliffs and even the Romans couldn't get in and they didn't eventually overwhelm it until AD 73. So I just told you that because if those of you say, oh, a Jewish certificate in AD 72, didn't Israel come to an end in 70? No, it didn't. It came to an end in 73 when the Romans finally overwhelmed Masada by building a huge ramp up it and they got inside and this certificate comes from there. And the certificate, like we know from the Dead Sea Scrolls, every Jewish divorce certificate said it had to have this clause in. It could be worded in all sorts of ways, and we know from all the divorce certificates we have, they were. They said all sorts of things, but there was one phrase that had to be in there for it to be legal, and this is it. The man issues the wife a divorce certificate, different to us, because the state issues the divorce certificate for both. But in this culture, the man issued the divorce certificate. Why? Because in this uh, uh, culture, without um, welfare and without benefits and without legal aid and without financial help, the wife who was ejected had nothing. But she was unmarriable. Because if you come along as a second man to this woman and you love her and you want to welcome her in, if she's not got a divorce certificate, she's got kids and she might have a house and it, or she might have anything. But you don't know if her first husband is going to come back when those kids grow and they can farm the land. Uh, and uh, when he has a change of mind and reclaim that woman and reclaim those kids and reclaim that land. So the divorce certificate in the Bible, Old and New Testament, was only given for one reason. It was the reason of setting the woman free to remarry. That was the only reason it was ever given. It was the only point of it. It was the only purpose of it, which is why it had to have this phrase in. You are free to marry any man you wish. Actually, the one in Masada says, uh, you are free to marry any Jewish man you wish, because it was quite strict. (laughs) But we know that many of the others said that. So, divorce. God loves marriage and relationships. He says, do everything you can not to fall down the holes that destroy relationships. But he acknowledges that these things happen. And in that case, how do you build a future? Remarriage, the Bible speaks of that. And it's written into a context which is all about remarriage. How do we know this is right? In the end, it's not just doing the reading. It's looking at the cross. And when you look at the cross, you always see hope.